When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, y'all? It's J.D. Piquel. Welcome into The Hard Count, the people show for everything you know and love about college football. Nick Brake doing the heavy lifting. Help drive the show by subscribing to the channel. You know that feeling you get when you're in a restaurant, you've been waiting patiently, might I add, for a little bit of time, and you just had your appetizer. Appetizer was great. You loved it. Five stars. Nothing but good things to say about the appetizer. However... You peek around the corner, and you see your entree coming right at you. And it looks glorious. looks better than it did on the menu. And it is about to be on your table. That's what our reality is right now as college football fans. We had Week 0, and we loved Week 0. You better believe I was watching Vanderbilt Hawaii. I was, of course, devouring Nebraska Northwestern. But just like an appetizer... It hit the spot a little bit, but ultimately, it just made me more hungry for the entree. And the entree is here week one in all of its glory. We got a great show lined up for y'all tonight. Going to predict Miami Heat style. Not one, not two, but five games tonight. A lot of marquee matchups, a lot of big time matchups. Week one is stacked. Also, we got to talk a little bit about some of these picks against the Suits is back. We're going to give you our best bets for week one and uh, going to make you a little bit of money. But first, we got to start off with some talk about what's going on in Austin, Texas and Queen Ewers because they welcomed the Louisiana Monroe Warhawks to Austin for Queen Ewers first start. We just need to have a conversation about how we're going to assess Quinn Ewers in his first ever game as a Longhorn. I know we had the spring game. I know we've seen him in meaningless action, let's call it what it is, when he was at Ohio State. But how are we going to assess his first start? And I think the temptation is you see whatever he does in that first game, and then you make a conclusion on the rest of his season. Maybe even lesser, you see his first game, you make a conclusion on what's going to happen the following week when you welcome Alabama to town. I want us to just pump the brakes for a second, because Quinn Ewers, what he should be, honestly, is a... First year, true freshman showing up on campus. Okay? That's what he should be, age-wise. Obviously, graduated high school a year early, got to Ohio State, and one thing leads to another, transfers back to his home state of Texas to be the guy for the Longhorns. Wins the job in fall camp. Now he's your guy game one. I'll even preface a little bit more. There was a lot of conversation about, well, if Quinn Ewers was so good, why couldn't he climb the depth chart at Ohio State? If he was so good, why, why wouldn't he get any time at Ohio State? First of all, he got there during fall camp, so chill out. Second of all, C.J. Stroud exists and is a dude. He'd been in that system for a year longer than Quinn Ewers, and that's probably even being a little bit skimpy on how much time he actually was there. But Quinn Ewers should have been going to prom when he was at Ohio State. 
So anything that happened at Ohio State isn't even a fair evaluation. But when it comes to this first game, he's going to be getting his first real college action. And so I just want to see Quinn Ewers look like he's in command and make good decisions. Because that's all you can really gather from this game. It's not going to be grade-A level competition. It's not going to be the Crimson Tide running out there. That's going to be the following week. I just want to see Quinn Ewers go the right place with the football and deliver it on time. That's it. Have a good operation about yourself as well. Like I said, get in and out of the huddle. Have good command. If a guy's out of formation, get him to the right spot. Just have us be able to get the play started in the first game. In your first action under the bright lights, be able to get the play started and go to the right place with the football. Another thing I want to throw in there while we're trying to evaluate this first start from Quinn Ewers, this offense will likely look a little bit different as the year wears on. I don't expect Bijan Robinson to get a ton of burn in this first game. I would hope they save him more for Alabama. Also, you likely, and these depth charts haven't been released, and there's been a big deal about that within the media, but Steve Sarkeesian said, I don't need to release a depth chart, so I'm not going to, but we can assume that there's probably going to be at least one, if not more than one, true freshman playing on the offensive line for Texas. And so when you're evaluating Quinn Ewers and what he does in terms of making quick decisions or maybe feeling a little bit gun shy or jumpy in the pocket, just remember that he's got a couple of 18, 19 year olds protecting his blind side. Okay. That's important. It's very important to make sure that we are assessing Quinn Ewers within the context of the entire Texas offense. Phenomenal talent. One of the highest rated recruits in the history of the modern era. But it may not pop in game one. If it does, great. I don't think you put too much stock into that either. Because it's Louisiana Monroe. Give it a year. At the very least, give it half a season before you have any solid opinion formed on Quinn Ewers. It's one of those things that's just going to take some time. Let this thing bake a little bit. It's not a flash fry. It's a bake. All that's to say, I'm excited to see Quinn Ewers get after it. I am very excited to see his first start after all this talk. And really, even since he left high school a year early, there was, is this a good decision? Is he really that good? Is this what's best for his career? We're finally going to get to settle it between the white lines. And that's what this is all about. With that being said, we got some real college football games coming up this weekend. Had real college football last weekend, I suppose. But we have a slew of big time matchups. As you can tell, we are particularly excited about the Notre Dame at Ohio State game. Number two versus number five, college game day is going to be on location. And you better believe I'll be tuned in that morning to watch game day. But this game is a fascinating one, obviously because of the college football playoff implications. But there's so many storylines going into it, right? Marcus Freeman playing against his alma mater or coaching against his alma mater, rather. Tyler Buckner getting his first start in the saddle. This new Notre Dame staff trying to find their way about themselves in their first game. I think there's a couple of things we need to address here. And, and with the, the spread being what it is, it's gone all the way up to 17 and a half in favor of Ohio State. Let's just take a look at it this way. If Notre Dame wins, how would they go about doing that? And I think to put it simply, if you're Notre Dame, you got to throw the first punch. 
You have to connect on the first punch and draw first blood, whatever that looks like, whether it's a turnover, whether it's a long drive, whether it's an explosive play, draw first blood. Because if you do, then you're able to sort of control the tempo and play with a lead. This offensive line for Notre Dame is nasty. Let them eat. Let Chris Tyree eat. Take some things off Tyler Buckner's plate. Allow him to be a playmaker and add in in the run game if he is able to slash needs to. Allow him to have a more clear picture throwing the football because that Ohio State defense is worried about the run game. Also, we are expecting more from Ohio State's defense and Jim Knowles with all of the implementation of his system that's gone in. But at the same time, we haven't seen it yet. Actually, the last few times we've seen Ohio State was them getting bludgeoned by Oregon and by Michigan. I guess last few times is probably not the right word to use, but our recent sample size for Ohio State is them getting run through by some really good football teams. Now, like I said, new scheme, new strategy. I would be shocked if they're not a lot better, but if you're Notre Dame, I would test that theory early. I would say, okay, you're improved, prove it. We're going to run right at you. And again, that is only possible if you're able to get that first shot on the jaw for Notre Dame. Because if you get that first shot on the jaw and you play with a lead, you can keep the freak show offense that Ohio State's going to have off the field, shorten the game, have some drive sustained, and again, make Tyler Buckner ultimately more comfortable. On top of all that, if Notre Dame is going to win this game, the defense needs to sort of take their shots. They need to find a way to be opportunistic because C.J. Stroud in this offense is going to be very, very potent, to say the least. I don't think you necessarily are going to have a shot to stop them completely, but if you can have a play where, hey, you dial up the right blitz and you force a fumble on C.J. Stroud, a little strip sack, and you steal a possession, you're going to need a play like that, maybe two plays like that. Again, on top of that, the offense shortening the game and keeping them off the field altogether would probably be plan A. But for the defense, I don't think, like I said, I don't think stopping them as a whole is realistic, but stealing some possessions, taking the wind out of their sails, forcing them out of their comfort zone just a little bit is going to be crucial for them to have a shot to win this football game. Now, moving on to this game from Ohio State's vantage point, if Notre Dame throws the first punch, it's a game. If Ohio State throws that first punch, it could be a knockout. That first punch may not just be the first touchdown, but if they get that first swing of momentum, I think this Ohio State team is experienced enough. And quite frankly, this Notre Dame team has some newness at positions that are crucial enough to where they could go into tailspin mode, right? Tyler Buckner, his first start on the road, like there could be a little bit of some disorientation going on on that side of the ball. So for Ohio State, couple big plays early. If you get that lead, I think you have a chance to choke them out early. I really do. And the Vegas line agrees with that, being 17 and a half. Now, in addition to this, one way you can sustain that, that punch, one way that you can sort of throw that knockout, is the run game working for you? Is Travion Henderson back in full effect, averaging around five yards a carry? Because if you can soften up that front seven early, or at least consistently, it's going to open up the rest of the offense. And if you keep this defense guessing, it could get very, very ugly. Now, on top of all of that, the defense is a key variable, right? Because we've had questions about them really since last season ended. They haven't looked sharp in about a calendar year. 
So can the defense hold up their end of the bargain and make this quarterback uncomfortable? Because you look at all of the external circumstances surrounding this game, it all favors the Ohio State defense. Home game, first-year starting quarterback, I mean, first-year head coach, a lot of things trending towards Ohio State's defense's way. Can you capitalize? It's teed up just right. Can you capitalize? So ultimately, when it comes down to the prediction we have for this game, I think Notre Dame could make it interesting early. I think you find a way to feed Michael Meyer and excuse me, Michael Mayer, and you, you're able to get this thing headed the right direction and maybe steal a possession or two. I think you got to get creative if Notre Dame. But ultimately, when all the dust settles and Ohio State does ultimately catch their rhythm, or if they are able to swing back and, and get a lead, I think once Ohio State gets up, whether it's 10 points or 14 points, I think those are kind of the magic numbers you got to look at. That's when I think you kind of start to see Ohio State just step into their own, get back on the bike and start riding it and say, oh, yeah, this is who we are. Ultimately, I think Ohio State wins. I think they cover the spread. My final score prediction is Ohio State 45, Notre Dame 27. Defense looks improved, still a work in progress, but you see some positive things from the Silver Bullets on that side of the ball as well. And Ohio State wins that game, wins it handily to start the year off on the right note in Columbus. Regardless, that's going to be a whole lot of fun. I just can't wait to see college game day on my television screen again. Anytime you wake up and hear Reese Davis's voice and the sun is sort of getting up into the air, it's still morning time, got your Chick-fil-A breakfast or whatever your breakfast traditions are on game day, that's how you know it's college football season. Fired up for that. Next game we're going to break down is Utah at Florida. Now, Utah originally was a point-and-a-half favorite. The line has moved to three. That is Utah being favored by three points. And again, this game is in Gainesville. So it's not like Florida's going up to play Utah at their house. No, Utah has got to make the travel to the heat and the humidity and play in the swamp in that ruckus environment. So with Utah being favored, we're going to talk about Florida first. How does Florida win this game? Well, there's a couple of ways that I think they could win this game, one of which being maybe that deep running back room for Florida is able to kind of catch their tempo. And with three or four guys that they can play, including Montrell Johnson, the Louisiana transfer, if they can catch their tempo and just sort of be that runaway train with the heat and the humidity like we talk about, if they can wear down that Utah defense, could open everything else up for them. But another storyline, another facet I really want to hone in on this game is Anthony Richardson making his first start as the guy at Florida. He kind of traded snaps last year with Emory Jones, but Anthony Richardson getting to be QB1 for Florida opens up a world of possibilities for their season. They will go as he goes ultimately when it comes to how we talk about their 2022 season. And Kyle Whittingham came out and said this week, he reminds me of Cam Newton. Very, very high praise from the opposing coach. Some of that is just kind of coach talk during the week. You try and say a lot of good things about the opposition and not a lot about yourself and just give them all the respect and probably even more respect than they're due. But what if he is like that? What if Anthony Richardson is just him? How much does that change this game? Because Utah, like we've Talked about before on this program, 17 of 22 starters are back. They're going to be deep. They're going to be tough. They probably, if we're being honest, just have the better slash more experienced roster pound for pound. 
But what if Anthony Richardson just puts on his cape and says, I'm taking over today, actually. All the things you've heard about me in the offseason, all the reports, all the whispers and camp intel that's sort of been swirling around Gainesville and how good I actually am, they're true, and then some. And he just goes attack mode. That could be the great equalizer. Quite frankly, that could be what allows Florida to win this game. Now, even if you don't get Superman-level caliber play, the defense probably needs to hold up some end of this bargain as well. And the pass rush for Florida is, for good reason, a point of a lot of excitement for Gator fans. But if you're not able to even rush the passer, meaning you're not able to get Utah to that third and seven, you're not able to get them to a spot where, hey, this is an obvious passing situation, Ventura Miller, Brenton Cox, your dog's off the leash, go get Cam Rising. If you're not able to get to those situations, it's because you're not able to stop them in first and second down, meaning you're getting a lot of third and twos, third and threes. Heck, even third and four is not an obvious passing down. And a lot of that starts in the middle with Jervon Dexter. He's a beast. Don't get it twisted. He is a baller. But behind him, who do they have? And that's one of the concerns they have is obviously on the defensive line, you rotate quite a bit. But in the trenches, in the interior of that line, can you stop the Utah rushing attack? Because last year, they were one of the best teams in the country in yards per carry, about 5.6. Ran the ball 57% of the time in 2022. So they're coming downhill. They're making no apologies about it. Can you withstand that beating? Can you withstand that tidal wave just hitting you over and over and over and over again? Because if you can't stop them first and second down, Ven Tremble and Brenton Cox, those freak shows on the edge, they're not even going to have a chance to rush the passer. And that would be ultimately, I think, how Utah would want to play this game. Now, if you can stop the run and you can pin your ears back on third down, well, then good things happen for Florida. But I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. Can you play the interior line well? And can AR either be just the man that makes all the difference? Or can he keep from making those crucial mistakes down the stretch that ultimately would lose you this football game? So we'll see what happens there. But for Utah, kind of what we just talked about. They're going to pound the rock. Utah, to me, is a team that is so sure of their identity. I mean, Kyle Whittingham has built not just a team, but a program over there at Utah, and I respected the heck out of it, they're going to run the football at you. Like I said, 57% of the time, Tavon Thomas, or excuse me, Tavion Thomas, 1,000 yards rushing a year ago. Had a little bit of fumble problems early in the year, bounced back, Cam Rising, really experienced after having won the job last year and played in some big games. Utah just knows who they are. That identity, that travels. I don't care if it's in the swamp. I don't care if you're playing on Mars. If you know who you are, that travels game to game. And also, it gives you some composure. Now, granted, the swamp is going to be hot. It's going to be crazy. But when you know what you have within that locker room, you don't have to second guess it at halftime or second guess it in the fourth quarter when it's fourth and one and we got to get it. There's sort of another element that's not so tangible, but don't get it twisted. Makes a big difference in football games like this. So when it comes to our prediction for this game, I think Utah's just playing ping pong, to be honest with you. They're just going to sort of hit it over the net every time. Hot one coming in from Florida, hit it back over the net. Just return, return, return. And maybe it's not the most exciting style of play to watch at times. 
But when you return it over the net so many times, it's only a matter of reps until your opponent makes a mistake. And I think that's what we see in this game. Anthony Richardson is going to be a dude for Florida. I want that to be as clear as possible. He has no ceiling. He has so much ability, so much physical talents. But Utah, the experience, the identity and attitude that they're bringing to the table, especially in the trenches, staying on schedule, keep it from making that costly error. I think we see a little bit of growing pains from AR in this game, and Utah ends up winning this game. I actually like Utah to win this one 34-27, so they do cover that three points. But again, I cannot wait to watch this game. Next game, we got to talk about Oregon versus Georgia. Now, they're telling us this is a neutral site. Folks, games being played in Atlanta, which is about an hour and a half from Athens. This is not a neutral site. This thing will be painted red with Georgia fans, and it'll be a road kind of atmosphere for Oregon. Now, Georgia is coming into this game as the reigning national champs. Finally got the monkey off their back. Finally beat Alabama. Finally put the crown on their head as the kings of not just the SEC, but the entire country. And all this offseason, the talk was about NIL and transfer portal and conference realignment and changes within the game of college football. And there wasn't a ton of limelight shed towards the Georgia Bulldogs. So I'm curious to see in this game, how much of an attitude does Georgia have about themselves of, hey, no, no, you need to remember who we are. You must have forgotten there was all this talk about everything else besides us winning the natty this past offseason. Here's your reminder. We'll see what kind of attitude they come out with, but I think that's something to watch. Oregon being the 17-point dog, how would they win this game? Well, for starters, what do they have in-house? They have a head coach who is a first-year head coach, Dan Lanning, who, oh, by the way, was actually on the other sideline a year ago as the defensive coordinator for the Georgia Bulldogs. So he got himself some jewelry and is now going to call, I guess, manage his program against his former team. But you got Dan Lanning. Then you got Bo Nix, former Auburn quarterback who has played his fair share against Kirby Smart. I think they have three different comp I mean, competitions where they've had to play against each other. So Bo Nix is familiar with what Georgia is made of at the very least. Like the speed of the SEC game, you hear that all the time about how much faster that is. I don't think that'll be a ramp-up at all for Bo Nix, so maybe that's the advantage there. How does Oregon win this game? I think it starts and ends with Bo Nix. Georgia has eight starters that are placing on defense, so eight different cats that have never played together in an 11-on-11 situation, and that matters. Don't get me wrong. These are all dudes. I haven't seen a lot of them play yet. Neither have you. They're all dudes because Georgia recruited and probably developed them. So that's the first thing. The second thing that I want to sort of have a caveat to to that point is you still have to have some cohesion on defense to be able to be successful. And if you don't believe me, look at the Nebraska Northwestern game. That busted coverage where Northwestern had an easy touchdown to sort of get themselves back into the game on, a, on, I think it was a deep seam, that was miscommunication from the safeties. And those safeties had never played together before. So for Bo Nix, if you've watched him play, dude likes to ad-lib a little bit. 
Got a little bit of that money Manziel within him, kind of that playmaker. He's Houdini. He's here one second. He's over there the next. That could ultimately be what you need from Bo Nix on this kind of occasion. Because it's one thing to play your defense and, and kind of do what's called and fulfill your assignment. I think they'll be able to do that effectively. But what happens when the play goes on for about seven seconds? Because Bo Nix is Johnny on the spot, is able to get out of whatever pressure you're bringing his way. And then he's all the way over to the left sideline, keeping his eyes downfield. And it is a scramble drill. At that point, that's where I think the experience playing together for Georgia could come into effect. So I think you need a steady dose of that. I think you need a steady dose of organized chaos from Bo Nix to be able to be successful for Oregon. In addition to that, you bring the whole offensive line back, new face of backs, but you bring the offensive line back and you averaged right around five and a half yards a carry a year ago, so you were really good there. Can you get a push-up front? Mario Cristobal, the enforcer, the big attitude guy for Oregon is now in Miami. Do you still have that edge to where you can at least convert the short yardage downs? Because they're going to have to be able to convert short yardage against Georgia. If Georgia is ever vulnerable, this will be the game. Because like I said, eight guys that have never played together on that defense are now playing together for the first time. Now on the defensive side of the ball for Oregon, you got to have just a superhuman effort from that front seven. You have to be able to at least minimize the damage on the ground. Because Georgia's got a two-headed monster in Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton who are ready to prove themselves. They're going to get the one-two punch combo. They're going to be coming downhill with bad intentions. So if you can force some obvious passing situations, you force Stetson Bennett to beat you. And I think that's the goal for Oregon is, hey, if we lose this game, it's not from getting punched in the mouth over and over again. It's because Stetson Bennett was forced to convert third and eight, third and seven, throw four verts against us, and he did that. And that's the way it goes. Now, you have to remember, Georgia also has Brock Bowers, who is developed in a lab and he's going to have some impact on this game I would reckon so they got to find a way to match up with him but ultimately you force Stetson Bennett to throw the ball against you it's not disrespect to Stetson Bennett it's just a matter of hey we don't want to die a slow death trying to stop this run and failing at it so that's what you got to do for Oregon organized chaos of Bo Nix Stetson Bennett if you beat us we beat us that's the way it goes now, for Georgia to win, the formula is a little bit more straightforward. They just impose their will. Kind of like we just talked about with what Oregon needs to avoid from happening. Georgia just opposes their will on, on Oregon. I mean, they're going to be the more, let's call it what it is. They're going to have the more dominant big people in this game. Do they get a body on a body, go big on big, and just continue to ram it at Oregon? That's one option. But I think for them to cover this spread, they got to be multidimensional. They got to be able to execute that deep pass off play action. They got to be able to involve A.D. Mitchell, not just Brock Bowers. They got to have options on this offense because any good coach, especially a coach that was on your staff a year ago, will know how to adjust at half if that's all you have in your arsenal. If you're a one-trick pony, Dan Lanning is going to be able to expose that. I know it's his first year as the head coach at Oregon, but having been so close to this staff at Georgia, he's going to be able to 
I would assume, digest this game plan pretty quickly if it is going to be vanilla at Georgia. So our prediction for this game when it comes down to Oregon and Georgia, I just think Georgia's going to control the line of scrimmage. I mean, I, I do. I mean, Brock Bowers is a matchup nightmare. I think Georgia has the more dominant big people. Kendall Milton, Kenny McIntosh, steady dose all night long. Now, I think Bo Nix could be the reason why Oregon is in this game early. However, I also think his ad-libbing is going to get him into trouble, and ultimately he's going to turn the ball over. I would venture to say around two times, which will be the kiss of death for Oregon. Can't turn the ball over twice, or even more than once for that matter, and expect to beat the Bulldogs. So I got Georgia winning this game and covering the spread 31-14. Now covering the spread might be a little bit out of pocket there because Georgia right now, depending on where you're looking, is a 17-point favorite. I have them winning by 17. So if that line moves a, a half a point either way, that dictates our play. But I think Georgia wins this game. I think they win it pretty handily and remind everybody why they're Georgia. Next game we got to talk about. The number 23-ranked Cincinnati Bearcats, who were in the college football playoff a year ago, Go to Fayetteville to play the number 19 Arkansas Razorbacks. Arkansas is a six and a half point favorite. Both these programs probably feel just a touch disrespected, or at least I think Arkansas should feel that way, getting only seven and a half games as they're over under in Vegas. Cincinnati was ranked obviously 23, but they played for the college football playoff a season ago. Now they lost a lot. Don't get it twisted. They lost a lot, but I know how locker rooms work. I would feel just a little bit like, hey, why did y'all forget so much about us? Yeah, we lost some guys at key pieces, but what have we done from a product standpoint to feel like you got to rank us number 23? Now, maybe that's bulletin board material, but I think ultimately both these teams will come out swinging with something to prove. For Arkansas to win this game, I think you need to be able to prove that you can still have the downfield pass. Because you bring all the big boys back for the most part. You bring KJ Jefferson back. 94% of their production on the ground is back in Fayetteville. Now that's crucial. Because that's who they want to be. Offensively, they want to just pound the rock. However, I think Luke Fickle is a good enough coach to where if that's all Arkansas has in their repertoire, Luke Fickle's going to be able to stack the box. Or you would hope they'd be able to. They're going to test them at the very least. So at some point in this game, can Arkansas stretch the field vertically? Because they lost Traylon Burks to the NFL, an 1,100-yard receiver, double-digit touchdown kind of guy. Do they have something else under the hood to be able to still make them honor that deep threat? Now, Jaden Hazelwood transferred from Oklahoma to Arkansas. I think he's a guy to watch in this game as sort of the X factor. If he can be a guy that makes this secondary at least have to honor the deep pass, if it keeps that linebacking core from being able to just rush up right away or from them having seven or eight in the box, Arkansas can kind of play their game. If you can't stretch the field, you got issues. Now for Cincinnati, you got Evan Prater or Ben Bryant starting at quarterback. Luke Fickle hasn't announced it yet, said we're not going to announce it. doesn't help us in-house to do that, but they bring the entire offensive line back. And they're going to play to that strength. They're going to just pound the rock at you. Corey, excuse me, Corey Kiner is an LSU transfer running back for them. They're going to feed him early and often. And I think for Cincinnati to win this game, again, on the road in Fayetteville, 
not going to be a fun environment. You got to make it sloppy. This scoreboard has to be just hideous by the time this game is finished for Cincinnati to have a chance to win this one. Because Arkansas is going to have the better big humans. They're going to lean on you. And I would expect they're going to run the ball until you force them to do otherwise. Can Cincinnati, A, run the ball themselves and be able to shorten the game, be able to sort of wear on this Arkansas defense and keep that offense off the field and just kind of take time off the clock, take the air out of the ball? And then defensively, can you get off the field, especially on third down? Can you force a third and 10, ideally, I guess, but a third and longer to where you still are able to get off the field and, and play your base defense when it comes to that third down? That's going to be crucial. Our prediction for this game, I just think Arkansas outmatches Cincinnati. Cincinnati has a defense that is very much so bare, or at least unproven, to say the least, because they lost both corners to the NFL, lost to linebackers to the NFL. They just don't have the juice they did a year ago in terms of what they have proven on that side of the ball. Now, I think Arkansas and Cincinnati will be a game early. I think Arkansas ultimately wins this game 38-24. to Arkansas just has too much power on offense, when they get to lean on you offensively with the run game, everything else opens up and they just have too much firepower, too many athletes for Cincinnati in the end. So we like Arkansas to win that game. Now, this college football slate is a bit unique. Opening weekend, you don't just get the Saturday entree. You also get the Sunday dessert. Okay, we got LSU, Florida State in New Orleans. Again, they're telling you it's neutral site. I assure you it's not. It's in New Orleans where LSU is not far at all from. LSU is favored by three points in this game. Again, Sunday night. My question for LSU is, assuming it's Jaden Daniels, the starting quarterback, they haven't announced it, but every piece of intel that we have available to us is saying it's going to be Jaden Daniels for game one. Which Jaden Daniels shows up? Is it the Jaden Daniels who flashed early in his career at Arizona State? Make good decisions with the football? can challenge you vertically, and then is a freak show when he gets the ball in his hands, a true dual threat? Or do you get the Jaden Daniels from last season, who's inconsistent with the football, first read's not there, he's taken off, 10 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Which Jaden Daniels shows up? Because that's going to be a big deal for LSU, breaking in a brand spanking new offensive line, five deep, uh, excuse me, I mean five wide across the board. John Emery will not be playing in this game. He's going to be a bell cow for them, I would expect, once he gets back. But Noah Kane is going to carry the load for them at running back. And all that's to say, they're going to have to have something from Jaden Daniels. And one thing that I've harped on with why I think he is the quarterback at LSU for game one is because of what you're going to require of the offense, ultimately. Five new offensive linemen there may be some growing pains in that first game, and you don't start out playing FCS West for all of you NCAA football fans, the video game. We're back soon. You don't play a program where you can kind of get your bearings about you and sort of figure out who you are offensively and, okay, we'll get our calls down. No, you play a Florida State team for all their faults, have some talent on that roster. At the very least, they have some talent on that roster, especially in that front seven. So for Jaden Daniels, being able to turn a play that would be third and 17 with the sack into third and 10, 
is crucial. Being able to at least escape and throw the ball away could be the difference maker for LSU in this game. So can he create with his legs and can he keep from making those mistakes with the football when he does throw it downfield? So he's got a good arm, a lot of ability. Throws a great deep ball. The ball jumps out of his hand. Kid's got a whip, but can he use that whip to throw it to his guys and not Florida State? Going to be something to watch. On top of that is the defense for LSU sound. Last year, they allowed 26 points a game. And there's a dude on the other side of this thing for Florida State, the quarterback, Jordan Travis, that they have raved about. Now, he looked efficient against Duquesne in the first game of the season for them. But can LSU put the pressure on him? Can LSU get after him? Brian Kelly talked about Harold Perkins, a freshman, potentially being the guy to spy him. Is LSU able to sort of be assignment sound, be fundamentally sound, and keep from allowing those big plays or those big breakdowns ultimately that Jordan Travis could then take advantage of? I think that's crucial to watch. For Florida State, the offensive line brings everybody back, which is the good news. Now, the bad news for Florida State is they were one of the worst units in the country last year in terms of pass protection. 11% of the time, they're getting their guy sacked. It's not good. Very not good, especially when you got a bunch of dudes for LSU that are going to eventually play on Sundays and have a history of playing on Sundays, does that program with their defensive linemen. You got to give your guy some time. I don't care how much you're raving about Jordan Travis during the offseason. If he's taken a three-step drop and by step one and a half, he's got a big dude in his lap, you're not winning this football game, okay? That's first and foremost. In addition to that, they're going to run Trayshawn Ward a lot. Can they use that to sort of give them some breathing room? Because I would expect LSU to kind of pin their ears back at a certain point in this game and say, Jordan Travis, we are coming after you. If you don't have a run game to offset that, you've already lost. So LSU is going to try and get after Jordan Travis, make him uncomfortable. This game is very simple. Keep your quarterback comfortable, make the other quarterback uncomfortable. And LSU is going through everything in their power to make Jordan Travis uncomfortable and force him into errant throws. Florida State wins this game if they stay on schedule. If they get it to their playmakers, Micah Pittman, a guy they're really excited about, the Oregon transfer wide receiver, get him the ball in space. Like I said, Sean Ward, get him the ball, get him in a rhythm. Had a really great game against Duquesne. I don't care who you're playing against. Ran the ball well. Forced a lot of missed tackles. Stay on schedule. Get second and six. Get third and three. Keep from having to make it where Jordan Travis has to beat you with his arm. Keep it from putting all the pressure on him. If you can do that, and then on defense, neutralize the big plays, because LSU's got some dudes now. Malik Neighbors, a guy they're excited about. Kayshawn Butte, a guy they're excited about. Obviously, getting number seven jersey. He's a certified dude. Neutralize the big plays. you got a chance. Our prediction for this game. I think Jaden Daniels creates. I think you see good Jaden Daniels in this game. I think he is eager to prove himself and sort of reinvent himself at LSU. I think Mike Denbrock's system plays to his strengths. On top of that, when it comes to the trenches, I haven't seen it from Florida State, so I can't believe it. Offensive line from the most recent sample size is bad. Jordan Travis I don't care how much they've talked about in this past offseason until I see it with my own two eyes. I can't trust it. 
And so for that reason, I'm taking LSU to just have too much firepower that's going to outmatch Florida State in the trenches. And then on the outside, I think you see Kayshawn Boutte get going. And then I think you see Jaden Daniels sort of find his rhythm as well in the pass game in addition to the run game. I actually like LSU to win this game pretty handily. I like them 34 to 20 in New Orleans. I love that we got a Sunday night game too. Saturday is is great, and you get all juiced up on Saturday. Then Sunday hits, and it's kind of just like a college football hangover. It's just like, man, that was so awesome yesterday, and now I have nothing to even sort of bring me back down. I don't even have just a a little fix for my Sunday. College football's got us an opening weekend. We move on to the second installment to wrap up this show of Against the Suits. Now, if you missed it previously, we explained what Against the Suits means. The acronym ATS in the betting world, stands for against the spread. It's not the case on this show. It stands for against the suits. You want to know why? Because all of my life, I have heard Vegas always wins. The house always wins. I'm sick of hearing that. That is such garbage. Talking about Vegas, the people that run this kind of deal in Vegas, wear the suit and tie to work. They stay on the 107th floor of the Bellagio. They look out from their ivory tower. They peer down at us. Well, ATS now stands for against the suits. The people show is taking back what's ours. Got five picks for you. Now, it's very important. I would encourage you to not pick or choose. Don't treat this like a buffet and sort of see what you like and pick off what you like, what you don't like. We're going to give you an odd number of games every single week in terms of picks. That's important because when we cash out, We're not going to leave at a point to where, man, we got two right, two wrong. Well, how many of you know in the betting world, that usually leaves you at a slight negative. Not the case here. If we go positive in terms of a winning record, we're positive in our bank account. Without further ado, our first pick of college football week one, we actually gave out last week. We like West Virginia in the backyard brawl to cover seven against Pitt. Pitt is favored by seven points. We like West Virginia outright. JT Daniels about to put everybody else, everybody else back on notice. Keaton Slovis using some choice words at a pep rally last night, talking about West Virginia. I think Country Roads take them home. They cover the seven. I like it up to eight points, honestly. Love that pick. Of week one, Saturday's action, Utah State is at Alabama. Bama is favored by 41 and a half points. That's a really big spread. It's really big for a reason. Alabama is angry. Utah State draws the short end of the stick. Sorry, Aggies. Roll Tide. 41 and a half points covered. Take that to the bank. The next game, you got Georgia State at South Carolina. South Carolina favored by 12 and a half points. I'm not sure why the spread is so close, which gave me a little bit of pause. But then we took that pause and ran right through the tape. We are taking South Carolina with the 12 and a half. Spencer Rattler has his coming out party. Jaheim Bell goes crazy. The over-under in terms of positions he plays on Saturday, I would venture around two and a half. I take the over. South Carolina covers the 12 and a half. Roll party roll. Like the Gamecocks to cover that. Now, we already talked about this game. If you've been watching this show live, Cincinnati at Arkansas. Arkansas favored by six and a half. Sam Pittman is 16 and six against the spread. Men lie, women lie, numbers don't lie. Sam Pittman 
definitely doesn't lie. Woo Pig Suey, we're taking them to cover the six and a half. I like them even a little bit more than that. So if that ends up moving on game day or after you see this up to around seven and a half, we still like it. Love Arkansas in that game. Louisville minus four and a half at Syracuse. Do you know Babers and company a little bit on the ropes there in, in upstate New York? Malik Cunningham is a dude. If you haven't heard about him yet, you will. The quarterback for Louisville. I think he goes video game mode as NCAA 14 comes back July of 2023. He gives us an early preview to that, puts up video game numbers. They cover the four and a half like a blanket. The last pick, Army going to the teal turf to play the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. Coastal Carolina has nine new starters on defense. That's a big deal regardless of who you're playing, but you open against a triple option offense, which Army runs in a surgical fashion. We support the troops here. We support the troops plus two. Army covers that. I actually like Army to potentially win that game. So don't be afraid to go money line if you're feeling a little bit bold. But our pick is Army plus two. That's it for us here on Against the Suits. We love all of these picks. Again, Bama minus 41 and a half. South Carolina covering 12 and a half. Arkansas minus six and a half. You can even juice that up a little bit if you want. Louisville minus four and a half. And the troops, the Army, Black Knights, plus two against Coastal Carolina on the road taking care of business. Golly, my, my pulse is, is through the roof right now. I'm like tingling. I got the shakes, the itches. Like I am ready for college football to be back in full force. I always forget to say this to start the show, but we're on podcast. So if you're listening to us on podcast right now, thank you. If you haven't yet and want to find us on podcast, we're on Apple. We're also on Spotify. So we're there for you for your drive time to work. We are there for you. We're also there for you any other time. We're on YouTube every single day and those podcasts stay in the podcast feed. So there you go. Cannot wait for college football to start. We're actually going to be able to go on spaces on Saturday morning. 8.30 Central, 9.30 Eastern. So tune in for that. It's a lot of fun. Going to have some of our experts across the network giving us some last-minute intel before these games get rolling. But this is exceptional. There is no more time for half-stepping. No more time. The season is here. Okay? So jump on the train because we are rolling out of the station. Appreciate you tuning in. Subscribe to the channel. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at JDPakel. Cannot wait to do this on a weekly basis. Talking about games, that is. It's here. We're going to keep the party rolling. We will see y'all next time.